Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Star, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during this time of continued crisis, and I'm joined as always by the one and only rector of our parish, Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you doing? Hi, Lindsay. Doing okay. I just um, that I'm having to um, deal with a hernia now, and I do value the prayers of our congregation. Doctors not keen to do an operation because of the COVID situation, so I'm on medication to try and ensure that there's a, a level of comfortability I can live with. Um, and then um, also mourning the passing of a dear friend, brother, colleague in Archdeacon Trevestain, who passed away in the week. And um, St. George's has had a share in his ministry. And um, I've been friends with Trevor ever since college days. Um, we've journeyed together. So, yeah, the loss is, is huge for me personally and as well as for the diocese and the parishes where he worked. We, we currently worked um, before his passing. And his death was very mm-hmm. sudden because I don't think any of us expected it to, to happen. <clears throat> but, but overall, you know, we have to journey through these things with the help and grace of God. The family are doing okay, as okay as we can be under these circumstances. I trust that you're doing okay and with your family. Um, um, yes, we are doing well. We had a, a Gatsby for lunch today, partaking in some cultural cuisine. Um, <laughs> it doesn't happen often. And I think my wife actually made it through more than half of the piece that she had until she gave up. She's not really into those sorts of things, but everyone else enjoyed it. So that's great. Um, yeah, it's been a, a tricky week in terms of mortalities. Um, we lost former, the last a president of the apartheid regime, former President F.W. de Klerk. Um, he lost his battle to cancer. And there are obviously contrasting views on this. I don't know if you have any anything to share on that, um, because, yeah, like... I was, I was privy to his last speech. I listened to it. And I appreciated that he... He acknowledged um, that he had believed in the ideology of apartheid, but chose to use the words separate development Mm. and uh, Mm. worked on that as a political model. And that he realized just the kind of damage that did to people of color and and he was apologetic. He, he said sorry for that. And he said some people thought he didn't p- apologize enough. <clears throat> and so he had um, said and made an apology on that regard. Um, and then he also encouraged the country to take its constitution bit much more seriously. Um, he said because our nation's um, um, uh, democracy uh will work if we work the constitution i want to also just say that i also was privy to fort Colata's son um one of the four that died that were killed Mm. in the eastern cape um 
and uh, the son had this was a law case that he had uh, that was just about coming through uh, we, we to find you know to 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 um, as as a what's name to hold the clerk and others uh, accountable for his father and the deaths of the what what is that what is that name that they called him the um, the four Craddock uh, four the Craddock yeah. yeah and um and the the thing was brilliant very gentle in the way that he spoke about it and he he never had he had the opportunity to meet the clerk because of a work assignment he's a journalist but he never had an opportunity to sit down with him to talk this thing through and if this young man projects such a yeah there needs to be accountability needs to be truth telling but if his approach was gentle um then one understands how he was raised and that his father wasn't the criminal apartheid made him out to be. <laughs> I'm not going to go down that road. I already stumped on, on <laughs> Nelson Mandela's legacy last week. <laughs> you can go listen to that if you want to. Um, to I want to add, Bishop, Bishop Margaret, in her pastor letter this week, her approach to writing about uh, and acknowledging as the, the head of our diocese, <laughs> in a, she said in a kindly note, we we acknowledge the passing of the president the clerk and you know his part in this so try and understand that yes we appreciate but at this other time we also know he was part of the mechanism that mm. destroyed <clears throat> this country's hopes yeah um if you are thinking that none of this has anything to do with the gospel and the liturgy of today. I will have you know that the theme that has been extracted is dedication, living transformed lives. So we can reflect on the transformation that happened within the country, within the man across his entire life. And then it's also a baptism. So it's important. I was going to start off by asking you how you teach children, how you groom children to live a Christian life in the world we are living now, which is a very difficult thing. Um, as you will note, my barbs that I chuck at you every week. Yes, yes. <laughs> I explored in, in every time I teach a baptism class, my approach is different. I don't use, I use the same materials, scripture and the prayer book, and whatever other books I have, but my approach is always starting on a different point. This time I started with where in the collect for baptism it says, uh, a prayer to God says, may you enable our children to grow up in the full stature of your son Jesus Christ. So the imperative was how are we going to let our children grow up and what does it mean if we say we want the child to grow up in the full stature of Jesus. <clears throat> and we explored that further this week, where we where we showed how, in order to, to, to say that we need to know who Jesus is, how does the gospel present him? And I started <clears throat> looking then at his baptism and how through his incarnation 
and his baptism, he, he formed solidarity with us. He took on our nature, became um, like, like one of us and was obedient to death. In this way, we now, we now are called to be dedicated to him. And how are we dedicated to him? And the first thing I said to them is, we are dedicated to him through, he, through sharing in his death in baptism so that we can share in the new life or the transformed life, as you pointed out, in terms of the liturgy. Now, parents, therefore, are called upon in our service to answer for themselves and for their child. This is what's called upon in terms of the renunciation and also in the consenting of the baptism and also in the allegiance we pay, uh, where we confirm our faith. And we, and they say, in this, with God's help, we will, by our prayers, our example, and our teaching, help and encourage the child to grow up in the full stature of Christ. So what must inform our praying for our children? And what and how does prayer and worship and the study of scripture the life of Jesus, how does it inform my, my example, the way I live, uh, my life, the choices I make? Uh, and I said to them, um, somebody taught me that, I, you know, in a statement, he says, I can't hear what you say because who you are speaks louder than what you are saying. So your example is of imperative to the children. And then you're teaching. And you can't just teach without learning the subject yourself, doing the research. Um, and so, and, and one of the things I said in identifying with us, Jesus heard the voice of God affirming him as son at his baptism. So in Christ, we are then drawn into a childship with the Father. We share the sonship of Jesus. And so how do we hear and how do we teach our children the voice of God? And I went through how God speaks in creation, how God speaks through Jesus, how God speaks in scripture. So it's a process, an inclusive process um, that will come not so much by us just saying things, but our children will learn by the example of our own lives. And that, of course, is where the challenge lies because we are not perfect beings. And you, you have to hold in tandem prayer, example, and teaching because they inform one another. They enrich one another and they challenge one another. Mm. So that's my response to, to, to your question. Fair enough. Uh, but if you could please uh, call our minds together with collective prayer and I'll catch up with you with the full liturgy after that. The Lord be with you. Good morning to all of you and thank you for joining us in this podcast, which we do on a weekly basis. And we thank you that you are participating in this form of worship and reflection. 
Let us pray the colic together this for the 25th Sunday after Pentecost. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, your son came to bring us good news and power to transform our life. Grant that when he comes again as judge, we may be ready to meet him with joy. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So the first reading is 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 4 to 20. And you've broken it, you've chosen to break it up into four sections with pauses for reflection. But I will challenge you and tell you that you only need one pause for reflection here. Because everything is about the story of Hannah and Hannah asking for a son and like taking heat from, I cannot say this lady's name, P-E-N-I-N-N-A-H. Penina. Penina. Like Panini, but with the R at the end. Um, <laughs> so, like, Panina is her enemy. It's another wife of Alcana's, and she's just like sending out kids, like it's going out of fashion. But Hannah doesn't have any. And then she meets with Eli, and she promises the Lord a whole bunch of stuff. But her entire identity in this is tied to her ability to make child. There still exists in many communities within Christianity this idea that a woman's role, well, biologically it is <laughs> the role of the female form is to you know, reproduce. But is it helpful to still carry these kinds of stories? Is there something else we can take out of this story that speaks to more than just if you want child, you must, you know, dedicate your life and his life to the Lord? Um, I think so. Um, I think we still uh, having to deal with issues like polygamy, whether it mm. should be embraced or not. Um, we're reading of a culture where it seemed to be okay to have, to, to be polygamous. Um, there's also, <coughs> in some communities, very hidden, where a woman can have more than one husband, but mm. that's something that we don't always talk about. And I know that this was raised in one of the recent meetings I've had um, uh, with the three dioceses in, in the Cape Town area, where talking about Canon 34, the, the whole process of divorce and remarriage, when is the, when is the church going to talk about polygamy and is it something that we should embrace? So this surely certainly will help us look at that. I think the second thing is, whether we like it or not, there are wives and husbands who long to have children. Mm. And... And, and some may never be able to produce children because of biological reasons. How does such a reading help us to pastor them? Mm. Uh, how did Elkanah deal with it? And was he correct when he said to Hannah, am I not of more meaning to you than ten sons? Mm. 
Now, mm. does that talk about how unique his relationship with Anna was? Um, and that <clears throat> it does actually challenge the mindset of some husbands not to get emotionally involved. Men, men don't want to enter into these emotional things. Elkanah did. He took the risk to get emotionally involved in the struggle of life. He noticed when she cried. Um, what do we do when people cry? Do we step back? Do we just touch, their, touch them on their shoulders? Or do we step forward to find out? Um, not that we may have the answers, but that we show concern to listen to their story. So, so there's the, that kind of nuance. There is also the whole thing about um, rivalry. Uh, uh, there, there are many rivalries. I suppose it starts in the home. <laughs> um, and, and, and one rivalry is about competition. I have, mm. you don't have. I'm, I'm then more blessed than you are. Um, a woman who could not bear children in those times uh, would have been seen as, as having received punishment from God. Mm. Now, whether that got carried over in the genes to current day situations is probably also true. Maybe in the psyche of people. I don't have a child. So God must therefore uh, not, he must be punishing me some form of way. So therefore, then it speaks to the theology of, of God, our understanding of God, the mystery of who God is. Uh, sometimes you wonder why children are granted to those who just have sex without thinking about children. Mm. You know, um, shouldn't, shouldn't there have been some prohibition that if you're going to have sex, you won't just fall pregnant, but you only fall pregnant automatically when you're married. <laughs> that just shows how, how mysterious life is. And and so we, we say, you know, I mean, I remembered, and, and yes, so this is a personal story. Um, when Trudy and I had our very first pregnancy, <coughs> after four weeks, um, it was aborted, natural abortion. Um, she didn't know. She just spotted in there all of the all of the the what's in the fetus. They were part yeah. of the fetus yeah. alone and developed at that time. And my wife wept bitterly as a result of that. Right. At the same time that she lost this baby, and we were then trying trying again. Now having set the perfect record, we dated got married, had a white wedding, mm -hmm. planned that after two years of building up sufficient resources and settling our married life, we then would uh, look at children. Wasn't as easy as that. Yeah. Lost the first baby. And I then hear, when we're struggling, <coughs> a 16-year-old of the parish at the time we were working at, falls pregnant as mm -hmm. a baby. And you say, where is the fairness in all of that? So that deals with our spirituality, deals with our understanding of God. Um, and I want to admit that at that stage, I was a little angry with God. When I and my wife did everything in the right way, and I'm putting that in inverted commas. Yeah. Somebody else was not doing something in the right way, but there was benefit for them and not benefit for us at the time. 
Yeah. So people will say, well, and how does this lesson help us to deal with that? And what it did do is it had a an effect on Hannah in that she was crying, so depressed, and she wasn't, was, wasn't eating, also a sign of depression, and she was sad, further signs of depression. This lesson has, um, has something in there that we need to also look at. Um, Penina didn't experience the love of Elkina as much as Hannah experienced the love of, El of, of El El mm. Elkina. Yet she could torment her because the Lord gave her that children, whereas the Lord kept Hannah childless. So even though Elkina doesn't love me that much, God loves me so much that he's blessed me with children from the very husband that loves you. So all of that talks into the human experience and there's never going to be a generation where these things don't pop up. Yeah. Uh, because it will be based on your culture. I don't know how informed we are. There's a whole issue about, um, you know, uh, whether people should have as many children as they had then. No, they really shouldn't. We really you know shouldn't. I mean? So, so I mean, uh, this this issue about um, about that, you know, is very very real. Um, you know, therefore, should there be laws and legislations about abortions and all of that kind of stuff? All of this helps us to deal. This story helps us to deal with these kind of realities. And then, why there are these reflections? because they help us pause on each of the sections that are highlighted. Um, it then takes us into the second stanza of the rhythm of this poetry. Yeah. And, and so four of them exist. That's why I placed it out like that. Okay, I, I hear a lot of what you're saying, and, 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 and I have responses for a few things. Like the one thing, that I was having a conversation uh, this morning with my <clears throat> sister, and it was about the appropriateness of a movie for my 10-year-old daughter. It is the Aretha Franklin biopic, Respect. And in there, a lot of the sexual aggression, the molest molestation, all those things happen off-screen, but the themes and the implications and the repercussions of those actions play out on-screen. Um, and for me, it's important that we remove the stigmas attached to those things and the taboos and start having those kinds of conversations quite openly so that we can educate children in a way that shows them what is unacceptable behavior um, and the consequences of that unacceptable behavior. And rather than dealing with the problem, so a lot of the discussion around mental health right now, like it's it's a again a very trendy thing. Everyone's about the self care and about you know accepting people's mental things and all that stuff. But the conversation is never about actually breaking down the stigmas of the situations. You know about sharing more of ourselves among us, each, like with each other, where if you are in a situation where there has been a 
why is this the first time I have heard about the your first pregnancy? Um, mm. Trudy's first pregnancy. Like these things should be discussed more, I think, so that people mm. know that they are not the only people on the planet going through it. You know, <laughs> like mm. Mm. it's also problematic that 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 idea of the right way. So even here, like you framed it beautifully, where Panina was like, "The Lord has blessed me." And she's not, and he's not blessing Hannah. So Hannah is lesser than I am. And it's that I, I mentioned it a couple of weeks back that that Christian entitlement mm. um, that that really bugs me. And it's it's both in that concept of thinking that because there is a higher power and because the dominant narrative in Christianity and in most religions is that you must be in service of this higher power and then be rewarded for your service. So if you are not doing things the right way, whatever the right way is, whoever is in charge of writing the Bible, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and interpreting the Bible then dictates the right way. Um, mm. yeah, you know, you won't be blessed as abundantly. And like, I think for me, that is the biggest obstacle to, to overcome as people. And it's also at the root of my, I won't say hatred, hatred. It's just the first word that's coming to my head now, bizarrely. It's a very, very strong term. Um, my my problem that I have, why I choose to be agnostic, why, well, I choose to be agnostic because I'm very curious about everything. <laughs> and I know that yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yes, yes. And yes. I know that because I don't know, and I've put in a lot of work to know that I don't know. Like other people can't assume that they know. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So, so yeah, like, like uh, uh, in hindsight, this this is a, a very important story because of of what it highlights, and it's been, again, like we said last week, it's been weaponized, it's been used incorrectly um, throughout Christianity um, to stigmatize, to incentivize certain actions. Like, I I still believe that we are creatures, we are emotive, we are sexual creatures. Um, we can have intercourse for enjoyment. Um, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, just be safe and know that there are consequences to this action. So then you take uh, measures that will mitigate the negative consequences, the unwanted consequences. Um, yeah, well, what do you have to say about that? What do you have to say about sexual education um, to the younger community and within Christianity? Has Have you maybe fallen short? in your career of trying to deliver a healthy message around sexuality? I think everything goes with context in one mm. on one level. So when the context raises issues, then you would tend to speak into that. Um, and alternately, I've also been challenged by the fact that <coughs> you're taught to read the scriptures and you have to continue reading it in order for you to pick up everything that it is that it is talking about. And I always used to think there's two things that always touched my, my, my mind about it. One, 
why in the churches that I was involved with through family and through my own exploration, did I never read of justice as an issue to deal with, particularly in the time of apartheid? Mm. Because we spiritualized, we, we didn't want to say anything here, but we go to heaven. I was out of fear for the order of the day. But in the scriptures, Jesus spoke out good news to the poor. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. That was a prophecy of old. How come I missed that and how to read it in the context? Secondly, the whole area of women here again. Last week we had Ruth. <coughs> today, so today we're dealing with Hannah. Mm. And Hannah's mm. story is assimilated to, in some ways, to Mary, the mother of Jesus, because of the song of Hannah that will come up, the canticle that Hannah mm. would, would have raised. Um, and, and so the role of women, the presence of women in the biblical narrative was never highlighted but always suppressed. The text that suggests women should be suppressed was always, you know, the, the order of the day. Women mm. must be obedient to their husbands. You know, that, those yeah. kind of texts. So I would say our challenge is that, um, and then the whole area about, about sex and sexuality, um, growing up very conservatively, you know, um, and, and of course, the, the word conservatively have to be explored, you know, is conservatively mean you don't tell the truth? Is conservative mean you mm -hmm. don't deal with, with, with issues that affect human life and that you think understand and explore? Um, the whole spectrum of sexuality has moved on. <laughs> from where we once only spoke or didn't speak about it, but assumed it was the only means of existence sexually was heterosexuality. Yeah. We yeah. are now having to say and listen to stories of people who have human experiences differently defined in terms of their human experience. So one is chiefly sexuality. And... Um, we had we had people in the church, leaders in the church, bishops and priests. One was our first, the first diocesan bishop. We had Bishop Mervyn, who was brutally challenged because he said, as far as he understands himself, homosexuality. That he was he was gay. He was homosexual, but he wasn't an activist and forcing people to accept him, nor was he wanting people to embrace this way of life. And he was seldom outspoken about it, but he would not deny it in himself. Um, so we don't know how to speak of sexuality. Um, we are afraid. We are afraid because of the power of sexuality. We know also the consequences when people are having sex. And even they, they're having sex irresponsibly. So if you, if you keep people ignorant, maybe they won't do the thing. But when you highlight it, suddenly they will try and explore the thing. In your teens, you want to be explorative of life as much as possible. Mm -hmm. 
no matter how many stories you read or how many people, how many things people tell you, don't go there. You're going to fall into the dark hole. Mm. You still want to fall into the dark hole so that you can also speak about what your experience has been, the doctor, but you do not know the consequences that may affect your life, given your, your context. So how are we then meant to speak when you, when you, when you, um, we, 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 but we have grown up in a mindset educationally, theologically, liturgically, and otherwise that's been governed by um, colonialism, Anglo-Saxonizing of the world, and colonization, um, more than one type of colonization because of the different cultural colonizations, and together with um, um, apartheid, with, with, uh, with, with that which was part of the agenda of our country for over 300 years. And it was through those lenses that we were taught to read, to lenses, those lenses we were taught to hear, what to hear, what not to hear. What we, you know, the whole matter came up about were we allowed to speak at our supper tables about apartheid and how wrong the government was. And it was even mentioned that government, if they catch you speaking about it, you could be imprisoned. So around your table could be somebody that would say, I'm going to tell the, the, the police that you're talking about politics. My mother and father's homes were raided one night after they had a prayer meeting. This is before 1994. They had a prayer meeting. I was up, Trudy and I were up in the Macquiland. They almost raided after the prayer, prayer meeting. And I have no doubt in my mind is they knew where I was living because I had been, or had also been for a time incarceration and mm. in court for political reason, which was, a, it was not, it's less than a drop in the bucket in terms of others' experience in that. But I had no doubt. When I got to Namakwa land, I got involved with the mining situation and protests there with, with NUM based on my sense of the reading of justice in the story of the Bible. And part of my congregation's leadership said, Father, don't get involved in that. Lost I was told. Mm. Um, yet I was one of one of those who formed part of the, the Maculant Council of Churches. There wasn't one in existence until that time when we had to say the church needs to speak collectively. We had a mm. workshop and my wardens came to me afterwards and said to me, I hope you know that. No, sorry. One of the local police, security branch police that were there, a colored guy, told my warden, say for your prayer that they would oppo the dinge wat they do. They would oppo preek the dinge wat they preek. So, mm. so that was there. I remembered when I was, when I went through that period, the short period of incarceration, all my sermons I gave to my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, and they hid it up in their pontible home, in the ceiling, in case the police were going to come and do some raiding. That's how we lived. We could mm. not speak about subject, and sexuality was one of those things we never spoke about. Yeah. Um, and when somebody got pregnant, it was under the swept under the the carpet. Um, yeah. But question right now is, with such a sensitive issue, like with any sensitive issue, you can't just speak out like you want to. It's sensitive. 
when you speak, it could judge people. When you speak, it could hurt people. Six, six, sex and sexuality is something to, to celebrate. It's part mm. of our humanity. It's God's gift to us. It is the one thing that in, 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 in committed relationships, you are able to share with another human being. Mm. Because it therefore has to be done responsibility. In responsibly, how then should it be done responsibly? How, what about desires and pleasures when you are 16 years old or 15 years old or 12 years old? Mm. What are you meant to do with those things? Oh, is the church meant to be silent about it? Do we judge things like masturbation, for example? We don't talk about it, but we talk about judging it. We don't talk about its meaning, but we judge it. Mm. So mm. I think definitely it's an, a subject that must be spoken about. And our diocese has got the social development uh, department who takes young people through that process. Your confirmation uh, syllabus now has to talk about that. But as something to be celebrated, something that you... Uh, therefore, because it's gift, you don't misuse the gift, you don't abuse the gift, you act responsibly around how you express your sexuality. Um, but I do, we do know that there are different views out there. We yeah. can't judge the views because we, um, it's, it's a mystery, sexuality is a mystery and people have their views. And so we have to be very cautious. Therefore, there's got to be a conversation in the church, with the churches, as well as with society. Because out of the whole thing of sexuality, we are now dealing with HIV and AIDS, uh, uh, HIV and AIDS, which people have died from. There's yeah. other trans transmitted sexual, uh, sexually transmitted illnesses that young people experience. And uh, it's also scientifically proven, I think, that if young ladies participate in sexual activity early in their lives, they could um, be uh, a target of, of, of cervical cancer. So these things have to be spoken about. The science must help us. Theology must help us. Morality must help us. Ethics must help us. But we mustn't forget that at the end of the day, the decision lays with the individual. Mm. How empowered are they? How have their families empowered them? How the church empowered them? How has the educational institutions empowered them? Uh, what good books are out there that will help them? These are some of the things we need to talk about. We cannot hide this thing under the carpet. But we can't also speak about it out there in such a way that we're going to be judgmental and arrogant and dismissive about it. Sexuality, in whatever form it appears, we don't know the mystery of it, is an inclusive human experience. Mm. It is the very reason we are here, um, <laughs> in more ways than one. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's, it's just a, a, another, I guess it's, 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 part of the dogma and the doctrine that we need to grapple with, that we need to 
we need to cast off the yoke of the oppression, how how these texts have been mangled, how people have used Christianity to to forward their personal agendas. Like if one person right that like if an archbishop or some has like an issue with something, they can manipulate the system to forward that agenda, which is which is is really sad. And and like you look here at the gospel, which is according to Mark chapter 13, verses 1 to 8, where it's dealing with a prophecy. So as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left year upon another. All will be thrown down. Then later on, they're sitting on the Mount of Olives, and they're like, Yo, tell us, when will this be, and what will this, what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. You know the rest of this quote. (laughs) I cannot. Yes. Like you, everybody knows this quote. (laughs) Like it's been used. Every apocalypse movie, every. Absolutely. It's it's been overused. It's cliche. Are we living in end times to your knowledge right now? Rodney Whiteman, the man, I am asking you. I would start off by saying that as the beginning, so the future is in the hands of our creator and redeemer God. That's my first point of view. Secondly, I don't know about tomorrow, neither do you. Mm-hmm. I only know about this current time in which we're living. So currently, I'm called to live my full life as if this is the last day of my life. Um, when I go and sleep tonight and I wake up in this day, and it is tomorrow becomes today, then that becomes the last day, as it were, that I have to call to live my life fully because tomorrow is not in my power, it's in the power of the one who creates time and the essence of time and so forth. Mm. So Mm. when people are projecting um, this, it becomes fear-mongering. Was Jesus fear-mongering? Or was he saying because in a way it seem it seems to allude to the to 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 that they will they will be a tomorrow in terms of what this text is saying. When you hear of rumors of wars, these must take place. So it's almost as if he seems to be saying there will be a tomorrow where these things will take place. Now, does mm-hmm. he say why they take place? Why are there wars? Why are there rumors of wars? Um, and must they take must they take place? Now, I have recently read um, something about the, the revelation, and one of the things that this author tells us that it seems as if 
the 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 the, the essence of being human or part of being human or part of being for, part of a fallen humanity conflict will always be mm -hmm. <clears throat> so it would seem as if and you and I know this it happens in marriages it happens in family lives where anything can cause a conflict um, and and sometimes you 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 hear in family life. Oh no, we experiencing World War Three now in mm. family life. So people live this reality. But does these reality does these things say that is the end time, or it's people exploiting what Jesus was saying here? Mm. What was he saying? You need to do. Um, about living your life day to day, no matter what the concept, what what the what the circumstances are around you, how are you meant to live, and are these signs of the end? When he said, "No one knows except the Father," so people, as you say, have advocated to to fear monger. Now, gospel turned into fear mongering using this text. The way to help people embrace the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ in their daily lives, to be able to live transformed lives, because that's what our text says, our theme mm. says, is to tell them how much God loves them. Because in them embracing the reality of God's love for them in Jesus Christ, we would be able to deal with Muslim. There are people whose stories hardly get written when it comes to wars. You hear of generals and who won this war and won that war. What about mm. people who went in to bind up the wounds of soldiers, who lost their lives because they risked their lives to ensure that enemy people were even uh, restored from their, from their injuries and the wounds that they gave. So, were they saying, we'll patch you up so you can fight again, or no, our role is to restore you. In other words, stop doing this. You are destroying. We are coming with work of restoration to heal the body, and we're doing so at great risk to ourselves. So for me, the gospel is about God's love for all of us, and that's the gospel we must proclaim. Hopefully that principle will drive out the sense of warring in us, the, the want to conflict rather than the need to reconcile when a conflict arises. Why must war be the option to sort matters mm. out? Um, and of course, we also now know that war is not necessarily because two countries are are, 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 are tense between one another. We now know that a lot of wars that have been fought is about power, is about grabbing of resources. Um, you've spoken hugely about <coughs> the research you did with Isla with regarding the tea, plant, tea plant plantations of the East Indian companies and all of that kind of things. It was all about resources which your country doesn't have, but because you have a particular lifestyle, you've built up an army, you've, you've, you've raised your nation as a warring nation to conquer the world in order to uh, gain resources. 
and to enslave people because that will give you a sense that you are a powerful nation. Um, mm. And so that will happen. But I mean, I'm just amazed, for example, how um, famines and earthquakes arise. I'm amazed that North Korea blasts off these nuclear bombs that they that never fly very far, mm. but they fall into the ocean. Now, how much of the sea life is destroyed as a result of this? Mm. Um, and therefore, the Teutonic plates at the bottom of these oceans, where normally tidal waves are, 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 are of issue, tsunamis are of issue, mm. are the cause. And we never hear them say that. Because it's going to, therefore, then, you have a war, therefore you have an industry. Now you're mm. talking about capitalistic gains. So it's far deeper than that. America and the religious right are into this conflict. They've risen, they've made, they've made profit of that theme called spiritual warfare. That everybody that doesn't think like them, that are not Christian like them, are of the devil. Mm. So there's spiritual warfare. What did they read, or Mr. Bush read, when they began bombing Iraq? The Lord's my shepherd. Mm. Because that was the enemy God was dealing with on our behalf. And we were fighting with God to silent Saddam Hussein. When the, when the issue of finding out why that war was started, the re reports came back to say none of which, which started the war was true. Mm. So when you look into all of this, famines, for example, there's this whole thing of uh, the climatic changes that are happening. Now, what will help us live properly one day at a time in transformed living. And what does transformed living mean? Does it mean nation, instead of raising up against nation, will now walk side by side? Isn't that what the United Nations was all about? United Nations was all about ensuring that Russia doesn't come and get us. So it was not necessarily one that says, let us hold hands together, because we need each other. I think mm. the creator was very wise when he gave your country certain amount of resources that the other will need. And you have resources that the other will need. And if we work together, it would be for the benefit of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Greedy empires don't think that way. In a conversation I had now yesterday and today, the, the understanding from this conversation is that China is taking over Africa. And Africa is selling itself out to China. Is this now the new frontier that is now being colonialized? As we were, you know, Africa's got the resources. But Africa seems, that it's, a, it's an assumption that Africa doesn't know how to, pro how to produce these resources to the level of where it can be used for commodities. So you have industrialized nations now coming in. Yet, Africa has a long history of industrialization way before other nations were able to even think about it. There's historical proof of that. So 
why is the motherland being raped? And hmm. you divide and rule, you draw different boundaries, you destroy people. All of these things. I wonder whether Jesus was specifically talking to here when in 66 AD the temple was destroyed. There was war in the Middle East. They still haven't had peace. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a couple of things there. So um, the, the concept of, as, as you mentioned, that you think the creator was wise to give certain countries certain resources. I mean, that is just fundamentally untrue. Where It's like people drew the lines <laughs> and made the nations, you know, like nobody... Yeah. Like that, that 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 was our doing, <laughs> no matter what, <laughs> no matter what your belief is. Like that, that was our doing. That people did that, and that caused ninety nine percent of the issues that that we have today. Uh, what was interesting about this this passage is my knee jerk reaction was to then attack um, the prophecy and Jesus as being short sighted, as being a little bit cowardice, as being like. You obviously have to take it from my perspective where it's like, I do not believe. It's So like my agnosticism speaks to my knowledge or my recognition of the existence of God. My belief system, my personal belief system, um, which many would say is atheistic, would be that Jesus was not the son of God. He was just an ordinary oak. And a very good speaker, very good politician. Um, and like in this, he is he was also a figment of a lot of people's imagination. Like this, it's it's impossible for this to have been a true happening, for this story, for this exchange to have happened. But then right at the end is that moment of salvation which underlines like why I don't have an issue with my children being raised Christian and with, with these kinds of faulting beliefs is that this is but the beginning of the birth pains. So it's like, it's more a story of you have to go through the bad to get to the good. So it's like when I'm right when I'm sitting down, I love writing. It is one of my true talents. And I enjoy playing with words to build more layers into the meaning of something, a message that I'm trying to get across. And I enjoy manipulating language, you know, at my will. Um, I apologize for the sounds in the background. Um, but it's a horrible thing to go from getting a brief, devising the story, and actually producing it. Like, I procrastinate, and I, I, I hate it. I hate that process. But when I'm writing, when the story has crystallized in my mind, it is euphoria. <laughs> so it's you like, don't suffer writer's block. Oh, I suffer it off. It's more a vibe to me. So, like, I, I float a lot on my, my natural abilities, 
Um, so if I'm not feeling it, I know that when under pressure, I will deliver something of okay quality, but I'll rather wait, try and wait until I am feeling it so that I can, you know, deliver my best work. 99.9% .9 of the time that doesn't happen. And I end up having to cram at the last minute and then produce something that I'm not 100% happy with, but it gets received favorably um, in the in the market. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's 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 that idea, and I, and I believe that that idea is the the central message that is trying to be brought across here. It's not a story of hopelessness. It's not a story of like they you have people who are asking for signs of the end times, and Jesus is like, yo, dude, I don't know. He's basically saying he doesn't know. He's just in his wisdom, um, because he was a phenomenal philosopher, uh, a very influential philosopher, one of the most influential philosophers. And he's like, continue. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get out of here. You hear him say he's the savior of the world. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, and then he's like. In, his, in that wisdom, he's like, these things will happen and you will go through hard times, but that's just the birth bank. That is the transformation process. That is the butterfly within the cocoon, within the chrysalis, having to rip its atoms apart and reconstitute itself into something else. And that is a hard process. Well, you know, just to, to respond to what you're saying, every passage and the whole book and the whole Bible will ask the question, who is God? Hmm. Who is Jesus? And what are they about? So if we look at this passage and it says, who is Jesus? When he just earlier on talked about how a poor widow supported the work of God by giving of her all in the pennies that she gave, now comes out. And it's interesting that an issue such as large stones and large buildings would be a question for the disciples. And all they said in the question, look, teacher, what large stones, what large buildings? And I touched base with that and I thought, hmm, why did the churches build the phenomenal cathedrals and church buildings that are now empty in most some some countries being utilized for other means? What was the mm. purpose mm. of having such fanciful stuff? Um, what were you trying? What message was the what were you trying to give to be building all of this? And Jesus says it will be thrown down. Now, did Jesus have the sense as he engaged the people, as he engaged the contexts of his time, as he listened to the stories, that there was tension in the air? That people were um, they, they had with in them the sense of enmity and jealousy and power and and therefore destruction 
Did he sense that in the um, in the ambience that was going on around him? And was this then therefore leading the disciples to think that he's a prophet of the apocalyptic? That he's a prophet of of end times. And why were they? What were they looking that should have ended? Is it the end of the world? The end of all things? Or was it the end of injustice? Mm. End of of slavery, uh, the end of foreign rule, you know. Um, but Jesus raises very important things as well. Beware that no one leads you astray. And mm. you and I know that in the context when all of these things are going, dear Makkah, in the times when we were raising up against the apartheid government, at the sense that we could lose our lives, as many has done in the past, or be incarcerated for long periods of time, you heard various voices. One um, was church and politics don't go hand in hand with one another. Mm. Um, governments saying the church should look only after their own business and sweep in front of their own doors. Don't challenge or judge us. There, there were many, many things, um, even amongst the Christians. So to have then come to this point and ask the question, who is Jesus when he therefore says, but this is the beginning of the birth pain. Mm. What mm. perceptivity was in an easy divinely motivated? That it's not necessarily just as you want to, to frame it as a philosophical intuition, but as divinely inspired. With the mm. birth pains, also something that was he was beginning to feel because the one great defining moment of all history is the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every nation under the sun, in some mm. way or the other, has been exposed to that reality. And so, who is Jesus when Mark tells this story of his engagement with his disciples coming out of the temple? Why would wars be an issue? Why was he warning them to beware of those who claim to say, I am he and will use my name to do so? And we've had many people doing that. Many false prophets, even in our modern day. So the question still hangs as we do what we say in this podcast, explore our faith. And the centrality of our faith is God in Jesus Christ. God in the world working in Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit in very critical times. Right now, the war against COVID, how will this war end? Mm. So who has claimed many lives? We think we could fight this unseen enemy. And we've lost the battle. 
unless we stuck to protocols, unless we took heed of that message, beware. And mm. God knows how many people were led astray by the proponents of the people that said you shouldn't be vaccined, you shouldn't follow protocols. This is just the flu of mm. political leaders. And no weapon that was ever designed and constructed to kill millions on one blow could defeat this. Our saving grace is in a little needle prick, the fluid of a vaccine, and following mm. protocols. So do these periods happen when we are in war, like now with COVID? And you have messianic uh, um, people rising up, and messianic voices who claim they know it all. And Jesus is saying, beware. This is the very time when people can lead you astray. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, the, the saving grace. But just remember, don't panic. Don't give up your faith. This is the beginning of the birth pangs. <clears throat> mm. And I think we'll leave it there <laughs> for this week. Um, okay. Yeah, this has been a, another thought-provoking conversation, and and I thank you for that. I thank you too, Lindsay. Yeah, if you could please pull out another couple of brief reflections in the praise of the church. Thanks, Lindsay. Tomorrow in the parish is Dedication Sunday, and we are dedicating ourselves to live the Christian life uh, in, to the full stature of Jesus. And we also dedicate ourselves to ensure that the parish does the work of God and the ministry of God. And we support the parish with all that God has blessed us with. So there will be a prayer of dedication. That comes from 1 Samuel 2 and starts from verse 1. And it really is Hannah's song. Um, and I'm going to focus my the prayers on that. The Lord has filled our hearts with joy. And I hope that Lindsay will put this on the screen too. And I'm going to just leave a pause after each of the colons or commas semicolons, and then you will respond with the rest of the verses. The Lord has filled our hearts with joy. We are joyful. No one is holy like the Lord. God lifts the poor from the dust. The foundations of the earth belong to the Lord. God calls us to be God's community of the new covenant. As God is faithful. And so I ask people of God, will you dedicate yourself afresh to God's service 
through worship, ministry, witness, and stewardship. May Almighty God grant us the will to please God by loving God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and with all our strength, and to love others as we love ourselves. In our prayers also, we will be lighting a candle to honor the life of Archdeacon Trevor Stain, to celebrate and give thanks for his life and ministry, to commemorate him back to God, thanksgiving, to pray for his past Alphine, their children, his mother, and extended family members. Let us continue to uphold the gift of hope that no matter what challenges we face, we may remain confident that God, with God, all things are possible. Pray for those who are facing crisis through loss and grief, that the Spirit of God will guide them, comfort them, and help them to face the future. We are aware that there are many displaced persons in the world. Many have come to our own country. Pray God will guide those who have fled violence, famine, or natural disasters. And we think of the Ghanaian um, uh, people who, living on the East Coast, have experienced tidal waves and have had to flee from their homes this past week. Pray for them and their losses. Continue to pray that you will keep safe all people who are displaced and lead them to places of safety. As we think of the, the thought of Mr. De Klerk's last speech to all people about upholding our constitution to preserve our democracy, we pray that God may give us the will as South Africans to protect our constitution for our democracy so that all will benefit but God will continue to be with all matriculants and guide them with studiousness and commitment through the writing of the exams. As COVID is still with us, we do plead that many will go for their vaccines, Lord. We ask that there many will that we may live compliant lives following protocols because we care for one another. And we are so grateful, Lord, to those who work on the cold face in hospitals when it comes to all of this. We know, Lord, that the world, by virtue of human greed, have divided peoples into, place, into places of despair rather than hope. So our prayer is that you will bless all countries, all continents, God, our children, God, our leaders, and give us peace for Jesus Christ's sake. And then may your blessings, Lord, be upon those celebrating birthdays and marriages. And we pray especially for those who will be baptized tomorrow and their families. And so, my brothers and sisters, as we conclude, we pray that you will go out in peace. For the Lord has heard your prayers. Do not allow anyone to lead you astray. 
but hold fast to the hope you have claimed. Continue to meet together, encouraging and provoking one another to put love into action. The blessing of God Almighty the Father, the Almighty our Creator, our Redeemer and our life-giving Comforter. Amen. Go in peace with courage to love and serve the Lord. Let us go in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you very much for joining us and God bless you. Bless, blessings to Lindsay as well. We thank him for his work in this project.